Hello and welcome to Sex with Todo Eso, sex ed for the Latinx millennial parent. Join me and my co-host Stephanie as we tackle the topics of parenting and sexual health in our community while breaking cycles and building relationships in our families. In this episode, we talk about teen dating. We know this can be a topic that may cause anxiety in parents and frustration for young people and can lead to a whole lot of friction. We will discuss the things we can do and start practicing in our homes that will set our kids up for healthy relationships in their teen years and beyond. Hey everyone, my name is Stephanie. And I'm Ceci. Welcome to Sex with Todo Eso, Sex Ed for the Latinx Millennial Parent. Um, welcome back, y'all. And if you're joining us for the first time, we're so happy you're here. And we hope you get back to listen to the first few episodes and check out our platicas. Um, in our last episode, we talked about the mixed messages young people receive about sex and gender and some ways to help them navigate through all that information so that they can make the best and healthiest choices for their lives. And a large part of that messaging revolves around romantic relationships and dating. Uh, from teen dramas on TV to very real dramas played out in celebrity, Instagram, and TikTok platforms, we are all constantly exposed to relationship behaviors that might not set the healthiest expectations. So in this episode, we will cover the complicated world of teen dating. We know from our own personal experience as former teens that dating and the idea of romantic relationships can be a topic of contention between many young people and their parents. There are just so many areas to disagree on, like what is age appropriate, what partners are appropriate, where you're allowed to go on on dates, um, when are you allowed to go out, what will your curfew be, um, can your boyfriend or girlfriend come hang out at your house, um, can you hang out at theirs, uh, do your parents have to meet their parents, um, and so on. So many opportunities for friction and disagreement. Um, and we're not here to dictate the answers to these questions or where those boundaries should be um, because it's going to look very different for each family and only you know what feels comfortable for you and your kid and what will align with your values. But regardless of what boundaries, rules, or limits you land on, there are certain skills you can teach your young people that will help them navigate the world of dating in a way that is safe, healthy, and dare we say pleasurable, fulfilling, and fun. That is what we will be discussing today on our episode, so how to set up your kids for healthy relationships in life. And we'll be focusing on romantic relationships, but these skills can translate in any kind of relationship they might have throughout their lives. And it starts with us. Yeah, so we wanted to start off by getting a little vulnerable and reflecting a little bit on our own experiences in teen dating. Um, and I think I mentioned a few episodes back that even though my parents were pretty open about sex, they were not really okay with the dating thing. School dances were a huge topic of friction for us. Um, the first and I think only school dance I ever went to was my high school prom. Um, and I think I like ran out the door with my date just because I didn't want to give my parents a chance to to change their minds. Um, and like what upset me wasn't so much that I wanted to go to these dances. I was like a really introverted young person. So it's not like that I wanted to be around all these people or dance in front of all these people. It's just that I knew I wasn't allowed to go. Like even if I wanted to, I couldn't um, because it seemed like everyone was going to those dances um, or that's how it felt anyway. Um, but I don't think they ever had any like strict rules around not being allowed to date, they just made it known that things like dating um, would take away from my schoolwork or from um, like, you know, other stuff I had going on. 
Um, that's why I wasn't allowed to have a job either. So I had my first boyfriend when I was 18, um, my first year of college, and I ended up marrying him. I'm super happy with the way things turned out uh, together, 17 years and counting. Um, and I also wonder if there had been less fighting as a teenager and less angst if uh, my parents had given me a little bit more freedom or at least were a little bit more open to understanding where I was coming from. Um but what they did show me was um, what a loving and healthy relationship looked like. I mean, they had their ups and downs like any other relationship, but they really showed me um, and made it known how I was supposed to be treated or how I should be treated by a partner. And I think that I just got really lucky that the first person I ended up dating happened to be perfect for me. How about you, Stephanie? Well, I'm very glad that you are very lucky, Sissy. Uh, I was not as lucky. Um, <laughs> my more so, my mom was super strict, um, and, and I've talked about it in previous episodes. But you know, she she was a stay at home mom, and so she really made sure my brother and I were safe. And sometimes that entailed, you know, embarrassing moments for a kid, right? Like, oh, mom, like you know, stop following me around or, you know, being everywhere. But so she was present um, at school, like in her home most of the time. And, um, you know, it it makes me laugh because, you know, in in a curriculum that we used to teach to parents, one of the strategies is monitoring and supervising. And, you know, like, we tell parents, like, if you monitor and supervise your kids all the time, like, there's less chances of them, like, doing things that you don't want them to do, right? And and for the most part, that, that was very true for me. Um, but, you know, as a teen, like, I started to rebel a lot against my mom. Um, and I wouldn't tell her things. I used to tell her everything. But then, you know, as a teen, like, I wanted to do my own thing. And um, have more freedom. And so, you know, you just get creative and, you know, try to figure out ways where you could get time away from, from your parents. And so, um, the first few relationships I had in high school weren't the healthiest at all. Um, and then the longest one in high school that I had, you know, I experienced a lot of emotional abuse. Um, and my, you know, my mom would see parts of that, and you know, that ended up being like arguments for us because, of course, she doesn't want her daughter to be treated a certain, you know, this way. And so, um, but once I I left for college, I think I had more time and freedom to kind of learn what I wanted and what felt right for me without having someone to tell me what was right for me right um and so I ended up that I ended that relationship and I ended up being in another one the one that I'm currently in and um it has been healthy and um you know we've I've had to learn what healthy relationships look like because my high school experience um did not reflect that and so um, luckily <laughs> I am in a healthy relationship now. I'm happy. Uh, we're both happy and, um, it just took me a little longer than you, Ceci. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yeah, it's, 
And I wonder what my dating life would have been like if I had dated in high school um, or if I had been allowed to or if I had been a little bit more rebellious like like you. <laughs> um, yeah, because I didn't have any direct guidance on it either, right? It was just kind of like I knew the expectation was just like not to do it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm happy <laughs> that we're both in a, in a good place now. Um, and although these conflicts come up for a lot of young folks and a lot of parents, I feel that when it comes to the Latinx families, um, it can be a little bit more complicated, um, especially for first time generation families where the parents might not have grown up in the United States um, and in this kind of dating culture. And there's not only this generational divide, but also like a cultural divide between parent and child. Um, the values and norms around dating and teen relationships can be very different from what's um, normal, right, in our American culture. And on top of that, there are general concerns around safety that exist in immigrant communities that might not be entirely understood by teens in the midst of so much else that's happening for them, like developmentally and emotionally and socially um, during that stage. Um, so it's a much more complicated topic than at first glance, um, and it's influenced by systemic factors that are really out of our control, and it's not something that I really understood until, until I was an adult um, and just became a little bit more knowledgeable about all, all of these things. Yeah, definitely. And even though there are many things we cannot control that influence the boundaries or rules we may decide to set around dating, there are several things that are within our control that can set the relationship foundation for our kiddos. Uh, and one of those first steps is to uh, establish healthy relationship practices in our homes. Uh, so one of the activities around relationships we used to do with both students and parents revolved around identifying the traits of a healthy relationship. Um, and without exception, the main response we would get was communication. Um, it may have been even the first thing that popped into your mind as well. Um, and we definitely agree that communication is an invaluable trait in a healthy relationship. There are several things we can do as parents and caring adults to help foster healthy communication skills um, in our kids. And a very basic way to start, and something a lot of you probably are doing already, is helping kids, even from a very young age, and I'm talking about toddlers, is helping them identify emotions. Um, identifying not only their own emotions, but how to recognize what others might be feeling as well. Yeah, and this can be done like in different ways, either letting young toddlers know how you're feeling over certain things, naming those emotions. You can use children's books, um, TV. There's a lot of great TV shows that talk about um, emotions um, and feelings and also songs as well. Um, and they cover all kinds of emotions, even sadness or anger um, and how to express them in a healthy way. And all of these things are a great start. And then as kids grow older, um, again, using TV, the news or social media to kickstart conversations about relationships can be a great tactic. Um, but modeling with our words and behaviors will be the best way to get the message across. Uh, one thing we can practice and model is how to check in with our emotions. So taking a pause and taking a beat to check in with ourselves before we react um, in any situation can really affect the way we communicate and affect the way we treat others in our relationships, not just romantic partners, but family members, friends, even coworkers. Um, and this is something kids can start practicing at a very young age. I'm not saying to expect like a four-year-old to be able to identify their feelings and regulate their behavior. Um, I don't even expect myself to do it every time. 
And if you know toddlers, you know that they might not be developmentally possible for them at that age, um, but they can definitely see you do it and they see everything. Yeah, definitely. And it might be, um, you know, kind of difficult for us as adults if we haven't, you know, learned uh, these these practices. So it, it, it'll take a while for you to start practicing. Um, but, you know, once you start practicing, it'll get better um, the more that you do it. So something else that we as parents can get into the habit of doing is validating all emotions and not trying to immediately fix things. So most parents want their kids to be happy. And of course, that's amazing. But sometimes we get wrapped up in keeping uh, our kids happy that we end up teaching them to push away or move past the more unpleasant emotions that they don't really ever learn how to deal with those feelings or how to express them in a healthy way. Um, And, you know, I've seen this for for young toddlers too, you know, like if they fall or if they trip and they start to cry, like a lot of the gut reactions that parents have is like, oh no, you're okay, you're okay, Uh, don't cry. And so then, Mm -hmm. you know, they're like, I'm not okay, I'm not okay, I just fell. Yeah, (laughs) it hurts, what the heck, you know? and, and, and that's our gut reaction, right? Like, oh, no, it's okay. Like, you're fine. You're safe, right? And, and that can be true. Um, but we can also make space for them to to feel pain and, you know, find ways to, you know, you know deal with, with that pain in a healthy way. Um, so most of the times they haven't had the practice. So sadness, anger, and frustration are completely normal things for any person to feel. And tend to be the feelings that might trigger unhealthy relationship behaviors, either perpetuating them or accepting them towards ourselves. And so it's very difficult as parents to balance positivity with validation and support, but it's also something that will create more authentic relationships with our teens. So, you know, they have a lot of feelings that need validating. Um, And I can remember as a former teen myself, and I don't know about you, Ceci, but, you know, I think... (laughs) We can all agree that, you know, we at that age, we had a lot of feelings. We definitely did. I've been remembering a lot just because I've been going to a lot of emo concerts recently. <laughs> so <laughs> it's taking me back. It's taking me back to my teen teen angst days. Um, you know what? It's also, um, yeah. <laughs> Ever since you've been telling me, like when you text me like, oh, yeah, I'm going to this concert, like I get you know, on my feed, like emo stuff. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I remember like that haircut or that style or that band. And it's just so funny how, you know, social media works now too. Yeah. They're like monitoring everything. That's so funny. Mm -hmm. uh, Well, not funny. It's kind of scary, but um, so it's also important for us to think about how things like gender um, factor into how we teach our kids about emotions and how to express them. Um, so are we expecting the same emotional behaviors from our boys and our girls? Do we more readily accept certain emotions based on a person's gender? Um, do certain emotional behaviors like crying or hitting feel more acceptable depending on the child's gender? So it's no secret that the same emotion is viewed, well, no secret to me, but maybe it is to a lot of people, um, that the same emotion is viewed differently depending on who's displaying it. So women are hysterical, but the same thing is called passion when it comes from a man, right? Um, Crying is accepted or even expected from women, but shamed when little boys or adult men cry. Um, So as we teach our kids about 
feelings, like that's cool. We also need to talk to them about how to express them in a healthy way. Um, and the best way to do that, again, is modeling the behavior for them. So the three main types of communication that we usually talk about are passive, aggressive, and assertive. One of them is going to be too lenient. That's passive. One is going to be too harsh. That's aggressive. And one's just right. So we want our kids um, to be assertive communicators. And we want to give them the ability to be able to speak up if they feel, feel hurt, if they feel angry or frustrated. But we don't want them to feel like they can insult or hurt others when they feel this way. Um, it's not easy for a child or a teen to do this. It's not easy for adults either. Um, like with most things, it can take a lot of practice for both us um, in the way we communicate with our kids and for our kids in the way they communicate with the world, right? So communicating assertively, um, it we get to express how we feel. We get to ask for what we need um, without insulting or hurting others. So practicing this at home with your practicing this at home with your child, um, let them know how you're feeling and help them put words into what they might be feeling as well. Yeah, definitely. Teaching all our young kids that it's okay to have emotions and express them, even the not so pleasant ones, but it's not okay to hurt others is a lesson that will extend beyond fights between siblings. And will definitely help them maintain healthy romantic relationships and identify when they might be in an unhealthy one. Which brings us to another topic that was brought up frequently by parents we worked with um, and a concern, you know, that parents had and, and we all have um, in this work of adolescent sexual health. And that's dating violence um, and how to keep our kids uh, safe as they begin to date and have re romantic relationships. So the first thing we really want to say is that it's virtually impossible to shield our kids from every harm that might come their way, but that's not going to keep parents from trying. Um, and that's especially true for my mom. Uh, <laughs> one of the main ways we try is by establishing some expectations around dating. Um, so it is okay to set limits and expectations. It's also great to think about what those limits and expectations might be before our kids start dating. So whatever your family decides on, it's important that everyone involved, um, including the child or adolescent, parents and caregivers, are, away, are aware of what is expected. And a good way to give our teens a better chance of meeting those expectations is to involve them in the process of deciding what those are going to be. Involving them in the process gives them a little bit of control and puts them in a position where they can actually think through the roles um, well, that will make sense for them and understand why behind some of our decisions as parents. Um, it sounds like a recipe for disaster, I know, but um, they might surprise you. You know, it's still... Um, good to go into the conversation with an idea of what you think is fair and then work from there. Yeah. And that makes a lot. Of, I've been reading a lot of books about discipline. Um, you know, the books I've been reading are usually about toddlers, but this one book, um, No Drama Discipline, talks about being consistent with the rules, um, but not rigid. Um, and like I mentioned, it's intended for toddlers, but I think it really applies here as well. Um, setting the expectations and being consistent with them is super important, but it's also okay to allow for some flexibility depending on the circumstances um, and be open to hearing our teens out, right? When they ask for um, an extended curfew for one night because of like whatever is going on or, um, you know, anything that might be the case. 
instead of immediately shutting it down just because, you know, that's the rule and that's what we're going to stick to, right? Mm-hmm. And that's so um, common in our culture, right? Like, yeah. No, ya dije que no, no es no y punto, right? Like, yeah. I, because I yeah. said so, right? And there's no, yeah, exactly. like, further explanation as to um, why or there's no conversation with the, with the adolescent about it. Yeah, no um, effort to really hear out you know, why that, why they're asking for, for something or why that might be the case. Um, so yeah, it's super important to be, um, consistent, uh, but also, you know, allow for some flexibility. Um, and there probably will be some non-negotiables though, just because, um, I mean, they're teens, they might be old enough to start dating, but they're still not adults. Right. So, um, their safety is still our responsibility. Um, and one of these is probably going to revolve around the age of their dating partners. And this is a very important one, I feel. Um, so large age gaps between teens and their partners can create situations in which an older person um, who might be at a different stage in their life, have different dating experience, have different expectations from their romantic partner, um, they might end up pushing a younger teen into something that maybe they might not be ready for, either emotionally or sexually. So they might push them into like a more serious relationship that maybe they're they're equipped to handle um, or into sexual situations or behaviors that um, they feel they, they can't say no to, right? Because there's this power dynamic between the older person and themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so setting the expectation around age, um, will decrease the risk of our teens being put into these situations where they might be pushed into something uncomfortable um, or maybe push someone into something uncomfortable, right? That they mm-hmm. that, that person might not be ready with or for. Um, and then there's also the legal aspect to consider. Um, so the age of consent is going to be different from state to state, but here in Texas, it's 17 years of age. Um, and there's an affirmative defense, which they nicknamed the Romeo and Juliet law um, for teens between the ages of 14 and 17. Um, but I would definitely recommend, uh, checking out all of these laws in your States. Um, and unfortunately a lot of laws haven't really caught up with technology. So Mm -hmm. laws around, you know, sexting and sending digital photographs, um, that might not be, um, that might be sexual assault or anything like that. So Mm -hmm. a lot of like laws don't account for those types of things, um, so it's also, and we'll have a different topic where we talk about, you know, digital technology and social media and safety and all of that. But keeping that in mind as well, having those conversations with our teens is important. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, when we worked both with teens and parents, another thing that we would mention around the age is we always recommended that, you know, teens uh put more emphasis on on friendships rather than dating or serious mm-hmm. dating um and we also you know kind of emphasize like if they were going to start dating um that they keep it between uh one to two years um mm-hmm. within their age right and and that is because you know adolescence there's there's different stages of development um in adolescence and then you know So one of the examples that we would give is, you know, like a freshman student, like they might be going, they might be starting puberty, um, you know, they're starting high school, 
you know, they're, they're navigating different things than a senior who has already gone through puberty. Um, and they're, you know, preparing to go out into the real world, whether it be college or, you know, entering the workforce. And so even that age gap has different developmental stages and different things that they're trying to navigate. And that's going to influence their relationship as well. Um, So we always try to, you know, have teens and parents kind of critically think about that as well, you know, because, I mean, you know, it's not uncommon for freshmen to start dating seniors or, you know, um, but when, you know, you start to think about that, you know, you can see a power imbalance, right? Socially, emotionally, physically. And so having them critically think mm-hmm. about that and, you know, analyze and, you know, think for themselves um, is very important. Yeah. And we would have in having these conversations, I mean, teens like to push back regardless, but um, even now, just because they would bring up examples of like, oh, well, my mom and dad are like 10 years apart. Like, Mm -hmm. are you saying that's wrong? And like, so we would do this exercise where we would have them think, okay, let's take, let's just take five years, right? Okay. How does it, and just check in with how you're feeling. How does it feel of a 40 year old and a 45 year old are dating? Okay, cool. That feels great. Amazing. Go have fun, right? What about 25 and 30? Okay. You know, maybe one's still maybe going through school and another one's maybe in their career, but okay, they're both adults. Do what you have to do. What about a 15-year-old and a 20-year-old? How does that feel? What about a 13-year-old and an 18-year-old? How does that feel? So thinking about the younger a student gets and how this five-year age gap that makes so much sense and is no big deal when you're an adult starts to make uh, not a lot of sense when it's from a younger person, right? It starts to feel uncomfortable, right? And you're like, that's not right. So um, having them think about that, um, the stage that people are in in life has a lot to do with how we're going to be viewing and accepting and um, how healthy these age um, gaps are going to be, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, just, you know, talking through that can be really important. Yeah. And it's important to talk to your kids and your young ones about dating safety for their own safety um, and the safety of their dating partners. Um, The thing we have been discussing, like establishing expectations, especially about the age of their dating partners and fostering skills that will allow them to speak up when they feel uncomfortable are great ways to do this. And another one is consent. And it's so big that we will dedicate a whole episode on this topic. Um, It's important that we help our kids navigate disappointment. And in the context of sexual consent, this means being okay with someone telling us no. And being able to accept a no can go a long way to establishing healthy boundaries and ensuring that the burden of consent is not solely placed on the person saying no. And, And this is where a lot of you know, the curricula that we would implement um, kind of lacked in that area. Like, it was really good at teaching, you know, students how to say no, um, ways to walk, how to walk away from an uncomfortable situation. But, you know, us as educators, we also try to bring in, you know, accepting no and ways you can kind of read body language 
from, you know, from the other person, because sometimes it's not just saying no, right? You could, sometimes there's, you know, body language that tells us like, oh, they might feel uncomfortable or like they're not into it, right? Mm -hmm. And so being, yeah, or a person might not be in a place where they feel like they can sing. Right. right? So being able to pick up on those um, body cues can be really important too, because they might not be able to verbally say it, right? But if their body's telling no. um, Right. So giving them that language to to kind of foster that environment that it's okay for the other person to say no, right? Um, Acknowledging that it sucks and it's disappointing when someone tells us no to something that we really want and that it's okay to feel that way, but it's never okay to force someone to do something sexual that they do not want to do. Yeah, and dating violence... um is something that we never really want anyone, including our kids, to experience or go through. But um, however, the CDC statistics do show that about one in 12 high school students experience physical dating violence and that one in 12 experience sexual dating violence. So it's going on. It's happening. Um, and developing that trust and communication between ourselves and our teens um, is going to really create an environment where they're going to feel comfortable telling a parent or an adult that they trust um, if they or someone that they know are going through that. Um, so there's a lot of unknowns when it comes to raising our kiddos and a lot of different and even contradicting opinions on what is or isn't appropriate. But we do know that most families will have one thing in common, and that is that they value the health and safety of their kids. So, yeah. Yeah. Thank you all for staying with us. And we hope you enjoyed this episode. Follow us on Instagram at Sexo where you can stay up to date on what's happening with us. Check our stories out to ask all of your sex questions and dm us about y'all's experiences with sex ed we'd love to hear from you and if you like what we have to say please subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss another episode and remember make good choices adios